Welcome to the Messy City Podcast. This is Kevin Klinkenberg. I am really excited today to have two of my uh, good friends in Kansas City here uh, in the studio to talk about all things uh, development in Kansas City. I have uh, Shamari Benton and Jason Carter-Solomon. How you doing, guys? Thank you for having us. I'm doing well. Doing fantastic, man. Looking forward to it. Uh, We... uh, we have some beverages in the uh, in the studio today, thanks to Shamari. So I'm Indeed. just going to warn everybody: this could get interesting. Don't tell so. them what time it is either. <laughs> yeah, let's keep, a little, let's keep a little mystery here. Yeah. Uh, well, thanks, guys. You know, we uh, we talk a lot about uh, development and cities and all that fun stuff and Kansas City stuff when we when we all get together. I thought it'd be interesting uh, for people who may not know who you are, first of all, to talk a little bit about uh, what you do. I mean, I think you both, we all have like these similar interests in development, especially, but both of you came from very different backgrounds and kind of came to development in really different ways. Mm-hmm. Jason's a banker. Shamari's a lawyer. I'm an architect. I feel like there should be a joke in there, like <laughs> <laughs> architect, banker, and a lawyer walking a bar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, why don't you talk about, you know, how I'm interested to know, because one of the cool things about me doing this here is I'll get to know some stuff about you that I don't know already. So talk about how you came to doing the projects that you do and your interest in all this. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, yeah. So I'm uh, originally from St. Louis. So I grew up on the wrong side, I guess, of the state, depending upon who's going to be listening to this and uh, came to Kansas city back in the early aughts. And remember when Kansas city, the downtown midtown area was, you know, frankly, a little bit of a wasteland in some regards. I think there's always been kind of the really hip and cool vibe to Midtown. I, I will grant it that, but I think downtown really had not come into its own. And so that's just to give you a little bit of context. That's probably 2004, 2005. Um, I eventually landed in banking, but to give you just the, I guess the, the spark notes version, grew up in St. Louis, went to St. Louis University. And while I was in St. Louis, while I was at St. Louis University, I worked on historic houses and four family flats. And in that day and age, you could get historic tax credits to convert four family rental flats into townhomes. The reason why this was popular is because St. Louis being a, uh, really being historically one of the largest cities in America actually had a very dense urban core mm-hmm. uh, along through you know post-World War II up until the 60s. Uh, it was an industrial town. There are a lot of Fortune 500 companies that came to be located there. And so the reason why this conversion process started happening is because there had been a lot of white flight after the 60s, given some of the historic kind of segregationist pro- uh, uh, issues that, you know, kind of languished in St. Louis. And we can talk more about that later, because I think that's a story that is emblematic of a lot of c- cities' history and their mm-hmm. urban story. Uh, long story short, I always loved carpentry construction, but loved places and urban areas so much. And I lived in the inner city and always was curious, how do you make a town or a city or a neighborhood or a street better? So in college, working on those projects, because the hollowing out, there was a lot, there was a lot of housing stock built for a denser population Mm -hmm. that then they were trying to repurpose in order to revitalize neighborhoods and bring in more home ownership. And they had this program where you could be kind of like the the guy in a truck carpenter rebuilding these little four family flats into converting them into really cool uh, townhomes. Anyways, mm. did that, and instead of 
getting a normal job after college, like most people, I like to say I was the original hipster, moved out <laughs> to California in an F-150 or F-250 pickup truck, big 33-inch tires on it, put everything I owned in it, drove out to California and built houses out there right after college. So hmm. I didn't get a normal kind of Joe job like everybody usually does. But eventually I found my way to Kansas City, long story short, uh, got into finance. I was a commercial real estate appraiser. Uh, got my master's in real estate from UMKC after I figured out, you know, when you're a kid and you don't come from much, you're thinking about urban redevelopment and, and, and development. You don't even really know what that is. Mm-hmm. And so you start to take a linear approach to things. You go, well, how do uh, buildings get better? Well, construction. And so I always thought, well, I wanted to have my own construction company. That was one of the reasons why I went out to Cali to do that. Mm-hmm. Well, it took, you know, a little bit of living and understanding and some education to realize like, well, there's this field called development. Right. There's real estate development, there's urban redevelopment. There's an alphabet soup of tools back in the day that were very popular in order to utilize to salvage neighborhoods or reinvest in the neighborhoods. And so I kind of began, frankly, a very self-imposed study on all of those things. I decided I was going to go back to graduate school and then I decided, okay, I'm going to try to work in areas that get me as much exposure to that alphabet soup mixture of tools to renovate and revitalize neighborhoods. And that led me into commercial appraisal work, consulting work, right around the time of the last recession uh, and the financial crisis. And then I found my way into banking. Hmm. That's kind of brings you almost up to date. And then I, you know, thought when I got that piece of paper, I don't know, 10 something years ago that they were gonna, somebody was gonna come out of the, the corner and go, hey kid, Come redevelop urban Kansas City. You got this piece of paper. Let's go. Well, there's a little thing called money. Another thing called experience that I had neither of. And so I had a rude awakening onto how I was going to land in the real estate development world. So I had to stick with the banking thing, mix my little shekels over there. And I have since started to parlay that into my own development work. Mm -hmm. So I'm kind of, uh, I'm a high, I have a hyphenated last name. I, I'm a hyphenated kind of professional. So I do, you know, I like to say I'm a small D, small I real estate developer and investor. I'm not a big shot. I, I really believe in, in an incremental development approach with regard to neighborhoods. And that's what I spend my time doing. So that's, sorry, a long winded no, that's answer. A, I love that. That is there's, where I'm at. There's a lot of stuff I didn't know about there. So that's really cool. Yeah. That's good to know. Shamari. I'm up next. Yeah, you're up. Uh, So grew up on this side of the state, uh, born and raised Kansas City, left Kansas City after I graduated high school, um, late 90s. And I th- I think, you know, we all share this common interest of the built environment, what makes, what makes cities better. I'm not sure if that's just universe given for all mm-hmm. of us, or sometimes I, I think back to, <laughs> my track and field days, uh, both in, uh, in middle school, high school, college. And that allowed me to see cities around the country, right? Uh, particularly AAU, you know, you're traveling to different cities mm-hmm. to do different track meets, go to nationals, whatever. And, and for whatever reason, outside of track itself, the cities in which we would, or college towns in which we would have track meets, really interests me in, in, in thinking about why some cities seemed energetic and why I thought some cities were really cool and others I, I wasn't that interested in, and then how they compare to, to where I'm from, to, to Kansas City. And then you marry that with, um, I come from uh, 
three, four generations of Kansas Cityans, right? And hearing my parents and grandparents talk about Kansas City and, mm-hmm. and how it was, and then hearing other folks talk about how it was and how some of those stories matched my current reality and some of them didn't. And then trying to understand why that is, right? <laughs> Being curious about, about that. So uh, fast forward, uh, leave Kansas City. I was gone for about 10 years. Uh, originally went to college at Jacksonville University. Uh, my father had multiple sclerosis and my mom had Huntington's and I'm an only child. So I needed to make a decision about being closer to my parents. So it ended up transferring to Mizzou and got interested in politics. By, uh, by the way, you could have chosen KU. It would have been a little closer than Mizzou. So. Yeah, I'd rather <laughs> rather not. But di- different, di- he, he, different, he, he different fears success. Yeah. Different, <laughs> different conversation for a different different day. I'm gonna ignore. I'm gonna ignore that statement. That's all right. That's all right. Black and black and gold are a much better color than, than whatever you guys have. Crimson and, and crimson and, and blue. Some, <laughs> some made up animal. Uh, I even know that. I'm in from it, St. Louis. In any event, M I Z for those those out there. <laughs> That's right. Um. So, in any event, in college, and I, I ran track in, in college, and again had the opportunity was was blessed enough through track to have seen other places, study political science in undergrad, and figured by the end of undergrad, I needed to make a decision. And I wanted to marry both my passion for politics and my passion for the built environment. How are cities made? What makes them best? Um, again, you know, blessed to have had the opportunity, you know, track even got me to Europe, right? Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> my senior year in high school, I ran track meets in Europe. Mm-hmm. So, so Gothenburg, Sweden, saw Stockholm, saw Copenhagen really had opportunities. Mm-hmm. That I think a lot of people, uh, uh, my age and relatively speaking, my background don't have mm-hmm. and, uh, uh, did not and do not take that lightly, but that really opened my eyes up to what a city can be. Yeah. A well-ran, well-built city. What does it look like? What does it feel like? How does it, how does it play with both citizens and people who are visiting said place? Mm-hmm. So in any event, uh, end of undergrad, got some mentorship and uh, that mentorship said, go to law school, practice real estate development. Cause real estate development, it, that practice of law really marries the political side and the built environment side. Mm-hmm. So that's what I did. Went to, right after undergrad, uh, went to uh, Mizzou Law School. Actually only applied to three law schools, Mizzou, UMKC and University of Minnesota. And, uh, uh, you know, you have your standard classes, all the all the lawyers listening uh, know this, but you have your standard classes your first year, irrelevant of what law school you go to, right? And then you start taking your electives your second or third year. So I actually went to Buenos Aires uh, the summer between my first and second year of law school. Wanted to make sure I wanted to study, <laughs> wanted to practice real estate development. So that program was actually tied into uh, international law. So just wanted... <laughs> Wanted, wanted to make sure that that this choice was the right choice. So went down to Buenos Aires for a semester, uh, studied international law, figured, hey, like, I'm going down the right path on real estate development. Came back to Columbia, Missouri. Uh, took the electives uh, related to um, uh, real estate development that, uh, again, that mentorship uh, told me to 
to take and, and suggested environmental law, land use, administrative law, etc. And then I interned with two cities, my second and third year of law school, and then and then post that uh, city of Columbia, uh, Springfield. So after I took the bar, I actually went down to Springfield, lived in Springfield for roughly a year and a half. And that's where I really cut my teeth. Right. So I was with the city attorney's office in Springfield, really understood um, how incentive tools worked from the municipal side. Mm-hmm. And then uh, a friend and, and uh, mentor of mine, uh, Mike Williams, who's, who's an attorney here in town. Um, uh, we were talking and wanted to get back to Kansas City. He opened the door for me uh, at a law firm here in town to move back uh, in 07. So almost exactly 10 years, 97 to 07. Uh, and then uh, practice law at a couple of firms and then eventually ended up opening my own. And frankly, when it comes to uh, the projects that I'm personally involved in from a development side, not representing clients, it was an understanding of, again, going back to that story of what Kansas City was mm-hmm. and uh, supporting and being passionate about my clients and what they were doing, but also seeing some things that uh, I believe should happen but weren't. No one has really taken that on or, or, or uh, a better way to say it is no one that I thought had the capacity and, and the knowledge base to take on some of these hard projects were doing it. And as, as my dad and grandpa used to always say, you know, be the change you want to see. Right. So uh, thankfully, uh, uh, I have friends like you all and, and, and some other folks um, who are on the same mindset. And we ended up responding to a request for a proposal on uh, some city property in the Vine District. And I, I'm assuming we're going to talk about that later mm-hmm. and why it's significant. Definitely. So we purchased that first piece of property in, in 17. And then as the universe would have it, a year later, we found out that uh, another historic property in the Vine District was being threatened to be torn down by the individual who owned it at the time. And it's significant for the city and community for a handful of reasons. So uh, my friends and I couldn't let that happen. So we actually bought that from the then owner. And we said that we were going to try to figure out what to do with that, <laughs> with that later. Uh, and then finally, the third project that we're on, uh, we closed on that. I think that was just last year. I think that was just the beginning of 2022. Uh, RFP process, similar to the 2000 Vine project. And I think... Um, if things continue to line up, we should probably start on the redevelopment of that project by the end of the year. That's great. So I want to come back to Vine District in a little bit, but one thing that was kind of interesting to me is, I mean, you both obviously have this entrepreneurial streak within you, you know, and it's always interesting to me, like, where does that come from? Mm. Uh, I mean, I have, I have that as well. And I think it, for me, it came from my dad, and I think from him, it came from his dad. Uh, his dad had a little garage in Baser, Kansas, you know, a little service station garage, worked for himself. My dad always had a desire, uh, even though he spent most of his career working for a, a big company, as soon as that ended, he actually bought a gas station and, and did that for himself, you know, wow. for another decade. Uh, 
And so he always had that. And I, I think that probably got ingrained in me and I've always really enjoyed the entrepreneurial side, but mm-hmm. like, did your, did your parents, did your dad have that? Or where, where do you think that came from? The, Cause it's, it's unique, you know, not, not most people don't have that, that desire, like see something and say, well, I'm just going to tackle that problem and I'm going to figure it out. Right. Yeah. It, uh, I'll go back a couple generations. My grandpa was, uh, had worked for the call, the Kansas City Call, uh, a historic Black-owned newspaper based here in in Kansas City, and at the time uh, uh, was the largest Black-owned newspaper in, in the Midwest. Uh, and so he was the advertising manager of the call for years, and then eventually he was um, co-owner of the call in eighties, nineties, early two thousands before his passing. And then my father owned an insurance agency. So hmm. uh, uh, he had a partner, they owned an insurance agency off a of prospect. And even after his multiple sclerosis diagnosis, I mean, I remember, I remember him still pushing through and still working that insurance agency mm-hmm. until he, until he couldn't any longer physically. And so I think uh, to your point, Kevin, I think part of it is just, not being scared of that because it's something that you had been in front of you. Yeah. Right. And understanding the ups and downs of that. Um, and then the other part of it for me is, 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 you know, frankly, uh, forced some of it, some of it was forced. Yeah. Right. Um, got into my own firm, uh, after the 08 crash when folks were let go at the firm I was with at the time. And, uh, again, was not afraid of entrepreneurship, had friends, uh, who started their own law firm and, you know, they were, they were doing, they were doing fine and thought if they could do it, I could do it. Right. Like, <laughs> uh, uh, and, and, and so you combine those two things and there was never really a fear of it. Mm-hmm. And, um, Jason knows this well, uh, have had failures in that, in that space, right. but because of those failures, I think you take those lessons, you do right by those failures and you, and you carry that into the future uh, success of some of your other endeavors, yeah. right? And so, yeah, it's I think long and short is um, all those examples I've had in my life created a lack of fear to go out uh, uh, into the entrepreneur space and just and just do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, that's awesome. I didn't know that about your pops and you know that story. I mean, yeah. what a great example, right? I mean. And I think that is emblematic of kind of some of the chasms that happen within communities of colors as opposed to communities of colors as opposed to our maybe white counterparts sometimes, right? It's like if you're not exposed to things, you you oftentimes don't know what's, mm-hmm. what's possible, mm-hmm. what you can do. You know, I grew up with nothing. Um, I'm the product of uh, a mother that, frankly, was involved back in the late 70s, 80s in the drug business in, in St. Louis to Chicago, uh, and also some other, you know, probably nefarious things. She's since, you know, obviously done her time and, and done whatever she needed to do to to recapture some sense of a normal life. Um, so I grew up seeing what, like, the opposite of being, you know, I guess a square is, right? Like yeah. trying to take a, the, the, the wrong path. And right. I always kind of just embedded in myself growing up. And luckily I had people that cared for me that said, hey, like, that's not it. Right. Like you can do better than this. And a quick dollar is not a good dollar. Mm. 
that was embedded in me early on. And I had people that cared about me. And so I'm the product of adoption and my adopted family. I was adopted late in life at about probably 10 or 11. Mm-hmm. Um, no, no, I take that back. 11 or 12. Um, my mother, when I was brought in, I think my dad was a minister, Nazarene minister, and my mother was, you know, pastor's wife, but she was also an educator and she ran schools wherever my dad had a church. She led schools. Now I came into this family at 10, 11 years old, but it was my first experience as a young black child being around people that were professional. And Hmm. I had, I guess, some level of intelligence and I was also involved in some gifted programs. And so I got to go to parts of town in St. Louis, kind of like Leewood here Mm -hmm. or Sunset Hills, right? Right. Like Pembroke. I went to a school where they had this gifted program, Mm -hmm. John Burroughs in St. Louis. And um, it was a program called Aim High. It was an academic program. Long story short, I got to see what the other half lived like, what the other part of society looked like. So it, 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 it developed two things, a distinct curiosity around why do places have such disparity in the same city, right? As a kid, you're just thinking about it simply. Why? Right. Two, like there is a very uh, possible ability in this country to change your lot in life if you're willing to work hard for it. Mm-hmm. And I decided I was going to grab hold of that and figure out how to learn as much as I possibly could and find avenues to better my lot in life so that it was not what I had seen early on growing mm-hmm. up. So there's that. There's also, I think, um, if I was not a banker, I think I'd be in the arts <laughs> because there is a distinct drive in me. I feel it's pulled me in my entire life to, to create things. Mm-hmm. And I believe like real estate development is essentially an art form. Like real estate mm-hmm. in, in general can be an art form, yeah. right? It's oftentimes uh, is only, it's boxed in and characterized by the X's and O's, the numbers, but the magic does not happen there. The magic happens when someone pours their soul into something and creates something unique, mm-hmm. special that people can appreciate. Mm-hmm. It comes down to this intangible thing of place. Mm-hmm. And that has just always been one of those things that drives a curiosity in me. And I guess lastly, I would say I'm a movie guy and a car guy, by the way. So <laughs> yeah. uh, I also tried my hand early on in life because I was like, well, entrepreneurship is one of those ways you can change your lot in life. If you're willing yeah. to work hard at something, you can yeah. pull off maybe the a spectacular feat, right? So as a young kid, I would have these hoopties. And the only way to keep them running was to figure out how to work on them. So before YouTube... There were these Chilton manuals. So I would figure out how to fix these cars. I'd buy a car, fix it up, drive it, sell it. Buy a car, fix it up, drive it, sell it, right? Little hoopties, just trying to keep it going. And I would make a little bit of money here and there. Uh, After college, when I was decided to move here after the construction thing, I um, started a little dealership back in St. Louis. And uh, it was of mild to little success <laughs> cheers <laughs> to mild uh, to little success <laughs> you know so yeah you know there's i think i've gotten over the, the pains in that but it, like you were saying shamari i think it's so key is like you experience failure and then you go okay like not everyone's willing to accept failure and and go hey i'm gonna try it again mm-hmm. yeah but in a movie called ford versus ferrari right there's a speech where 
uh, and I'm not going to butcher it by trying to quote it exactly, but I'm going to give the thematic gist of it. Carol Shelby's talking to, um, not Lee Iacocca, but, oh, Etzel Ford. And he's saying, or he's talking to the crowd, or he's talking to the crowd. Etzel Ford puts him up from the crowd. They're going to try to take on Ferrari. Yeah. And he goes, some people are just driven by a goal. It's a thing they just have to do. Mm-hmm. And there is just no telling, there's no telling them no. They got to do it. Yeah. And he goes, I'm that guy. Mm. And I think that's, <laughs> in a sense, a spirit that I have in me. Like, yeah. I just yeah. cannot try. I mean, I cannot not try. Yeah. My dad used to say something similar to what your dad used to say. It's better to try and fail than fail to try. Yeah. yeah. And I've just kept that with me my entire life. And so you just keep trying to figure it out and you keep doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, it's the money is important. It's not really about the money. It's about I want to create something that is unique. Yeah. Right. Something that people that appeals to people, so it it comes out in the quality, and we'll talk about these things when we yeah. maybe a more real estate development conversation. But when you pour your heart and soul into something, there is something that transcends the numbers. Yeah, yeah. And, and then, as a banker, that might be funny for people to hear me say, <laughs> right? But like, there really is. I've seen it happen. Yeah. There's a magic you can capture there. And JCS, when you follow, like you were talking about uh, creating and and having that north star and and. and uh, listening to that that inner voice i think when you do that and it's not all about uh the monetary return not that monetary returns are necessarily a bad thing but when you do that and you do it with intention and you do it well the money will come and not the not the reverse exactly right like you can you can have the money and be miserable and and not be proud of of what you're doing and, and what you're creating uh i think the uh the beautiful space is to do something you love to do it well and make some, make some money while doing it. That's, I think that's the dream. That's, I think that's most people's well, it's dream fun. and ambition. It's funny because then it sounds like all three of us have had one of those little ventures that was uh, maybe mildly or not profitable. <laughs> Birds of a feather, <laughs> right? Had, yeah. Shamari had a clothing store. I had, a, I tried to start a car sharing company that's in right. Savannah, Georgia. Right. Hold there. on. Before, when before it, when Uber? Yeah, before Uber came to Savannah, I tried to start a car sharing company. But there. was Uber around just like generally? They were around generally, but they weren't in that market. They, they were very early. And so they were at the stage where they were just like, but you were New trying York. to legitimately like, like share cars, like, yeah. like a subscription on there. Yeah. Like subscription service cars. Yeah. I've also thought of this. And we talked yeah. about this before. Oh, it was, it was a total disaster. But <laughs> it's such a good idea, Kevin. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, we felt like it was a good idea. And I felt like I had the kernel of something, but. Um, in the end, uh, I joked that it, it turned out to be like a really expensive graduate level education. <laughs> like, what, oh do, boy, do you feel too. like, do you, do you feel like, and I don't know if this is going to get cut or not, who knows, <laughs> but, but, uh, the idea obviously is a, is a game changing world changing idea because it worked in some aspects. Do you feel like you just lacked the capital to, to get it through? Do you feel like you had, um, a misunderstanding of, of the technology side of it that was so important to make it work? Like, why do you think it? Yeah. I mean, I was all of that. And I think also from, uh, so in the middle of that process, I started to learn a lot more about what they call like the lean business process or lean development Mm -hmm. process, which is, which is very different than like the typical MBA process of like how you figure out how to start something. And, mm-hmm. and in retrospect, I really should have taken the lean uh, approach on that, which was, I have this idea. First, I need to go find a customer. So uh, minimum viable product. Exactly. That's something I'm very fond of. Say that of. one more time. Exactly. Minimum viable product. Yep. Right. Yep. Like everyone thinks like, Hey, like I want to start a business. Yep. And 
I think two things. They think, oh, I have to come up with some revolutionary idea or concept mm-hmm. to start this business. Right. That's one, and I think that's a fallacy. And then two, they think, oh, like I've got to go put all this infrastructure in place yep. to go build <clears throat> this thing because we're taught, especially looking at the tech world as a uh, as a paradigm of how to go about entrepreneurship. That that's right. the way. It's not. Exactly. It's actually backwards. Exactly. You know, and that was exactly what I did wrong is I invested a bunch of money into the technology side. And uh, I even I hooked up with a comp- company in the Bay Area to really do my technology. And I set up a website and I did all that really before I ever tested the market. Mm-hmm. And it's like, can I go find a customer mm-hmm. first? And so here's a funny story. Yes. So <laughs> I, I only had like one in the initial stages, I had one person sign up. Uh, to do it and so what i this was more of like a peer-to-peer yeah, like, so yeah, like yeah. an airbnb car share yeah, thing yeah. and so i put my own car uh, on Dude, there to test it out can, what's up for a second you invented turo before turo came on this the is actually yeah, really it amazing was, and it was crazy and it was like there was there's a whole we could do a, we could do a whole podcast on it but so this gal uh rents my car for okay. a trip i'm like all right cool and I had this uh, GPS device that, you know, right. was tied into the, the rental yeah. Yeah. deal and everything. And so she rented it and she was going to do like a, a two or three day rental or whatever. I'm okay. like, cool, I'm going to make some money. I got a customer here. This is awesome. So then like uh, the next day I check in and this is again, I'm living in Savannah, Georgia. I check in and see where the GPS is. She's in Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> With my car. <laughs> so it didn't work. Uh, South side or north side? <laughs> I don't even remember. But so we uh, we exchanged some messages at that point, which to the extent of get my car back to Savannah. Right. Uh, right which right. she did. And it was a whole ordeal. And after that, uh, I had a I had a long, you know, rethink about the whole process and what I was doing. But it was it was nuts. Um and uh that's the most classic entrepreneurship yeah. story but yeah, you know you it's, <laughs> but i mean you know i think we i think any entrepreneur you, you just you take some risks you try things and sometimes they work and they don't work and i was fortunate enough to be able to have a failure and not have it ruin me in that regard yeah. uh and uh, i mean I, I i spent some money on it uh but i didn't spend outrageous money right. on it uh and uh you know i think that's uh, that's one of the lessons that I've learned, you know, a couple of times. It's just trying to figure out how to start things and try to do it in a way that where y- you might lose some money. You're yeah. going to take a risk, but yeah. it's not going to ruin your life. That, that's that's great advice because I don't think we or, or anyone who knows what they're talking about would suggest seek the failure, mm-hmm. right? Like don't like like plan to succeed, yeah, right. But but also um, hope for the best, plan for the worst, and if you if you plan it right and you're in the right mindset if you know that that failure happened you have a plan in place and it'll hurt it won't it it won't be fun Uh, but um i think kevin your uh reference was spot on is that you know the loss was there but it wasn't such a pivot where it ruined your future both professionally and otherwise right yeah yeah. God, that's so good. It's so good. <laughs> it's amazing. But you know, like it's such a great like story of what great like uh mentorship you can offer now. And also like think about what how that's informed your career thus far and allowed you probably to start to begin to build your own risk mm-hmm. matrix. Yeah. So you can balance risk quickly. Because I think that's another characteristic of a good entrepreneur. Yeah. Someone that can go into something and go, okay, let's cut to the fat. 
where's the reward? Where's the risk? Mm. Is the juice worth the, worth the squeeze? Right. right. I think oftentimes people look at entrepreneurship or real estate development, right? And they go, oh, that is cool. That is sexy. They want to be Butch Rigby. They want right. to be um, Shamari Benton. Mm-hmm. Who doesn't? Be, <laughs> you know, they want to be they want to be uh, Susie Aaron or Brad Nicholson, right? They want to be these right. names, but they don't realize like the road to that path is not easy. That's yeah. right. And right. so the reason why those people got successful is that they built a risk filter matrix. Yeah. And it might not look like mine. It might not look like yours. Right, right. But they went into something figuring <clears throat> out, okay, like what acceptable risk am I willing to partake? Knowing I might fail. And you probably will, by the way. Like, yeah. that's the scary yeah. part. And that's mm-hmm. what you were asking. is like, why? Right. Why do you keep going? Why do you keep right. doing it? Well, it's because, like, I think all of us, we start to figure out an acceptable risk-reward ratio that we're mm-hmm. acceptable, that's acceptable for us. And you go forth and you do. And you also get experience, right? That right. is, that is so incalculable, right, of, a, of an mm-hmm. asset. Really, it is. Because right. I can tell you right now at 41 that... To me, I always tell people, like, what I'm saying when I give advice to people, like, you don't have to do it my way. Mm-hmm. But what I'm telling you is not hypothecation. It's not academic. It is not theory. Yeah. It, especially as, even as a banker, I'm telling you, like, most bankers can't do this. Right. I have done it. Right. So when I tell you something or I, I, I counsel, it is not coming from a place of theory or like, hey, like, I'm just watching out for, for my end. Right. I'm telling you how I watched out for your end as an entrepreneur being in your shoes as well. I think that's really important to have a counterbalance. Yeah. I mean, it's two things come to mind. One, one is what you said about the creative side of, of development. Both of you talked about that. It's just, that is so common and it's, it's like never talked about. Right. It's so interesting to me because I've met so many developers, you know, over the years and I'm often just blown away by the creative energy that most developers have. And that's just like, it's not thought about. We think of developers as like the guys with the fancy suits yes, and the nice yes, watches yes, and yeah. everything else and the big cars. And uh, the developers aren't like that, but no. most of them aren't. And also the, you know, you don't think about the, the creative side and everything that, that goes into that. And it's also interesting to me. So I had, I also interviewed Monty Anderson and Bernice Rado. I think that one is dropping uh, next week as we record that. that. Yeah. And so they both talked about, just like you, they came at things with their own background in their own different ways. So you had this background in construction, Jason. You know, Shamari had the background coming from an interest in political science and law and worked on it that way. Monty uh, initially came at it. Uh, I think he was actually a broker. Uh, as, you know, well, he eventually became a broker, but he did other things before that from the construction side. Bernice was a property manager, you know. But they, everybody, they kind of gravitated toward, towards figuring out, you know, how to do development stuff wow. on their own, each with their own background. I came at it from architecture. Yeah, right. You know, so it's, it's there's so many different ways to come at all this. To, to that creative piece, there's a reason why one of the most well-respected historic preservation programs comes out of SCAD, mm-hmm. Savannah College of Art and Design, right? It's an art design school, right? Yeah. It's, a, it's, it's wow. a school, it's a school that's, that's founded on um the skill set of creativity yeah. right you listed and there's there are listeners who are not familiar with kansas city and yeah in our in our inner uh real estate development circle but uh one of the folks that jason didn't reference uh who does 
great work, in my opinion, is Adam Jones. Mm-hmm. Well, if yeah. you talk to Adam and you know his background, he went to Kansas City Art Institute, yep. mm-hmm. right? That's that's what brought him here. He's from Texas, right? And so he's a he's a he's a creative <coughs> who looks at buildings differently, and he was able yeah. to um, ideate, purchase, and then rehab buildings in the urban core. In what I would what I would call from an artist perspective, right? And and I really I, I respect his work, and so I, I think those are examples of of what JCS is talking about, right? Mm-hmm. Like there is this creative side to it that's a lot of fun. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's hard. Real estate development's hard, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that uh, when you wake up in the morning you don't want to do, yeah. right? But I think part of the the fun part about it is the creative part about yes. it is, is to have this idea and then to yeah. be able to create that and bring, hopefully bring something new to the market. Yeah. So whiskey's good. First hot take. Yeah. First hot take. All right. This is why you shouldn't be afraid of a recession. If you're minded, if your mind orients around these concepts around creativity over profit, hmm. right? I'm not saying no profit. That's mm-hmm. not what I'm saying. Right. The profit concern help keeps the, idea within the right set of boundaries and framework. The profit return is, right, how capital comes to these projects. There's make no mistake about that, okay? However, there are a lot of people that have come into the market when uh, one of our friends, Andrew Manal, turned us on to a great documentary on PBS talking about the ease of capital over the last 10 years because of monetary policy. Mm. Now I'm starting to put my banker hat on. Right? <laughs> uh, Get but, ready, folks. Yeah. The ease of money. Let me tell you something. And I this is to no chagrin of anyone that's a client of mine. Like, please trust me in this. this. This is not meant to be offensive. However, it is easy to look smart when money's cheap. Yeah. This is not normal. Money has been so historically cheap, right? that it has burgeoned a lot of interest within alternative investments because it's easy now to go deploy capital anywhere and everything is rising because money's so cheap. We also had a lot of other factors come into play within the economy that hampered the supply chain, mm-hmm. which then creates with static demand, right? You hamper the supply chain, it keeps, it, it, it's, it's a static state of, hey, like mm-hmm. we can continue to do more because we can't ever build our way out of the shortfall, now, huh. especially with housing. Would you call it a Ponzi scheme? I mean, no, something similar. No, no, it's not like that. I think it's just what we've engineered ourselves into. It's a per- perfect set of circumstances. We can go into monetary policy if you really want to. I don't know that your listeners care. <laughs> uh, but my point being is that there are a lot of people that have gotten in this purely for, for profit driven motivations. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. You make money, <clears throat> normal price. Yeah. You make money at normal price levels, like right. typical price levels, where you then start to have to make very complex, both financial and creative decisions. There's a lot of people that are not equipped to do that. Why? Yeah. Huh. Because they don't care about the right. sticks and the bricks, how they look. They care about the X's and O's and the number and the profit margin and the return. Right. And now it becomes less enticing for people that only care about money. The people that win are the people that can be creative and solve a problem. Let me take a step back. Pure, simple entrepreneurship. Find a problem, go solve it. Mm -hmm. If you find a problem, go solve it in a way that's creative and innovative to the marketplace. You don't have to worry about a lot of that, barring some crazy black swan event like a pandemic. Mm -hmm. 
war, war. things of that nature, yeah. right. you will be able to win. So I would tell people, don't think that just because there are these signs on the horizon of a recession and right. things like that, that, oh, real estate development investment is done. It's not. Right. It's the same old adage in a capitalist environment. Right. Figure out a better mousetrap. Yeah. You will attract the customer. Right. Yeah. So so the last 10 years were the exception. We're just back to the rule. We're just back it's, to the rule. Essentially. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. So that, that that makes me think about, you know, now both of you have, you know, you got Shamari, you got like three projects going at the same time. <laughs> Jason, you've done a bunch of, you know, projects, little renovations yeah. and all sorts of other Commercial. stuff. Uh, so now you're you're in that area where you get to you get to pretend now that you're a mentor to other people who are trying to get started. What what advice, you know, what what lessons learned, what sticks out in your head that you said if somebody 24 years old, the 24 year old version of you came and said, oh, I want to get started. What what are you going to tell that person? What what advice are you going to give? What? JCS, you said something earlier. And I, I don't remember. You said something to the fact of you build a matrix for um, yeah, risk reward, risk matrix reward matrix. That That's right. Yeah. So to answer your, your question, Kevin, and, and to take JCS's kind of risk reward matrix concept. And I think this takes some experience and maturity, uh, both personally and professionally, but I think you lean into what you're good at, whether that be just naturally, like what the universe has, mm-hmm. has given you and or um, what you've learned over time professionally. And what I would tell any up and coming um, uh, developer, real estate owner, et cetera, outside of um, uh the knowledge based concept of of understand your market like wherever your <clears throat> wherever your sandbox is if you will is really hone that skill set so from a personal example you know i practice real estate real estate development law since i've uh got my uh law license right um generally speaking i feel like i know it very well incentive tools environmental hiccups and even within that space, if I don't know it, I know where to to go and look for it. Mm-hmm. So the so the matrix that you were talking about, what I could provide for 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 the team that's taking on the project is, hey, we have a capital stack. Uh, I could find a friend who, who will do who will who will, He's who will help. to me right now. Yeah, <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. This this is not on YouTube. Point of JCS. All these banks have have told us no my friend understands what we're trying to do. And so he says, yes. But on top of that, knowing, okay, we can get uh, um, tax abatements, we can get historic tax credits, we can go for new market tax credits, so on and so forth. Lean into whatever skill set that you could bring. And I think I think that matrix should apply to anybody, whether it's, hey, you used to be a contractor, I know how to put up drywall and so on and so forth. And you take that on, you're giving up your time, but it's going to save you on your pro forma. I know finance, so I can put together the numbers. I'm going to do that for us as a team. Uh, I'm an architect or planner. I'm going to, I'm going to self-perform essentially. So uh, that's my advice. Uh, Again, outside of the understand your sandbox, it is lean into your passion and or skill set and really bring that to bear for your projects. Mm -hmm. That's really particularly if you're taking on incremental projects that the market has found difficult, in my opinion, that's the only way to make it work. Mm-hmm. I remember 24-year-old me 
<clears throat> here's here's what I'll tell you. I've got a saying. When you're young, you don't know shit, right? Mm -hmm. So the only thing you have is time. Mm -hmm. So you need to you need to start exchanging your time for knowledge. Mm -hmm. For knowledge and money, right? Like right. that's it. Mm -hmm. When you get older, right, you have to start to figure out how to leverage your time in a way that is not a direct corollary for the time in exchange for money formula, right? Right. So this is why I'm a hyphenate from a professional sense, because I no longer believe in like, oh, you can, well, first of all, the world's not set up that you're going to just do one thing for 50 years yeah, right. and then retire not and be more. okay. It doesn't work that way. 50 okay. years is probably even exaggeration, probably 30 years, right? I'm yeah. probably, I've had some whiskey, I'm blowing, right? It's <laughs> <laughs> terrible math anyway, by the way, I'm blowing and going. But no, like seriously, like the world's not set up for that. Right. And, and that's a whole other discussion that I'd be you know, happy to talk about. And I think that is a part of the equation here. Why I think more people should seek an entrepreneurial path yeah. or right. a hyphenate path. Right. The world's not set up for you to just go work at a company and be okay for the rest of your life. Yeah. That's done. Yeah. And anybody telling you that it is, they're lying to you. Right. Mm. Okay. Yeah. That's one. Two, you have to put in your tool. I've always said you've got to put in your toolbox and your tool belt as many tools as possible that allow you to succeed. Mm. That doesn't mean go do everything. When you're young, you're going to have that temptation. But as you start to get older and mature, right, like Shamari was saying, you're going to have to start to wheel, like, wheel your energy and your focus into a narrow lane yeah. and become a specialist. Specialists make more money than generalists. Mm -hmm. Period. Simple. Okay? So figure out how to get good at something. Like Shamari said, I will not disagree with that. He's 100% right. Figure out how to get really, really good at something. But right now, while you're young, go trade your time for money, but also knowledge. Yeah, yeah. Learn, That's the best advice I could give you. Learn as much as you can about as many different things. While you're young, you've got the energy, you've yes. got the time. That's right. Because yes. there will be a day, you know, that comes. Maybe you've got kids or whatever. You just yep. get. We just get older. You just get yeah. more yeah. tired. We're all in that. We're yeah. all in that. We're all in that <laughs> space. <laughs> listen, I'm trying to buy another thirty hours a week. Right. I mean, yeah. listen. As a 40 something year old, and I'm sure you like, yeah. you like, we both feel like, man, if we could get 30 more hours a week <laughs> with the knowledge that we have, right? Think about like, it's kind of like again, Hulk, like movie reference time. Yeah. There's in, in the Hulk movie, there's like when he, the guy, the uh, uh, Blonsky, the abomination, and he's like, man, if I had the knowledge I have right now in a younger body, think about the things I could do. Like, I often feel that way. Yeah. It's like, yeah, if I knew what I knew now and I had the energy I had at 24, yeah. oh my gosh, I know. I know. Unstoppable. I'm trying to scratch out like four hours a week. <laughs> for whatever I yeah. know what you mean. It's kind of crazy. But um, I, I mean, I think, and that's like, I was just talking to our mutual friend, Abby, about this too, because she's 29, I yeah. think. And I was just like, she's you know, great. just like Abby, the advantage you have right now is you Amazing. are young, you've got energy, you've got time, you should exploit that. And she has purpose. Yes. yes. Like, yes. At a, all, right. Which is super unique. In addition to what you referenced. Right. Like, yes. And so right. this is what Jason, like, uh, using Abby as an example, uh, uh, who, by the way, also has a podcast called she, Upzone yes, that, she's, that she's discusses amazing. some, some yeah. of the space, but, but, um, for the Abby kidneys in the world, like you're in a beautiful space, keep going, yeah. right? Because exactly. you, you have the energy, you have the youth, but you also have the skill set, and you have the North star to really, um, um, uh, make a difference and to, and to really, influence um uh the city the sandbox that you love and that you're passionate about yeah 
Yeah, I think, I mean, I've always tried to, every once in a while, I get like a younger person to get asked me for something to do. And I'm just always just try stuff, just do something, yep. you know, just be a doer, go out and do something, whatever it is. Uh, and as I'm like you, Jason, I, the world of work has changed so much, uh, even from when I started, I think it's going to continue to change. I don't even know what college is going to be like by the time, right. by the time my kids t- get right. to be 18, right. I, I I don't know how many kids are going to be going to college. Another hot take. I'd almost yeah. tell that 24-year-old kid. Yeah. Well, it's too late because I, I was graduating when I was yeah. 24. But sure. I would I would say this is going to be real hot because I was actually on the board of a university. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not going to name which one at this point, <laughs> but you can probably figure it out. It's like maybe don't go to college or at yeah. least don't go to grad school. Yeah. Like that. that is not the path any longer, right? Yeah. Go it depends. There, I think it depends. If you want to be an attorney, yes, go yeah, to college. You want to yeah. be a doctor, yes, go yes. do that. If you want to be an entrepreneur, I will tell you, here, here's the catch-22 about this. I can say that, but at the same time, here's what I recognize. My liberal arts education was so formative in me. Mm-hmm. My high, second post, my secondary education in high school was at a, I was very blessed and fortunate. Not everyone gets this blessing. I went to one of the top college prep schools in the country, mm-hmm. right? I don't come from money, but I had the opportunity to do that, mm-hmm. which is very blessed and fortunate. It informed me on how to speak, how to write. Those are very critical, basic skills that today I think are lost, mm-hmm. art forms. I then went to a very good uh, Jesuit university that had liberal arts at its core, but then also had, in addition to that, a real social justice mm-hmm. platform in which that mm-hmm. it, it, it's, it's heart came from. Mm-hmm. So you got to see, Oh, like even in a business school, it's not just about you. Mm-hmm. Look at all of these things going on around the world. Like if you're going to do this, do it with some purpose. That's right. My, I had my parents look up to that because again, yeah. it's not about how much money you have at the end of the day. It's about how people, how you leave people feeling when you walk away. Right. Even in your day-to-day interactions, that's mm-hmm. what matters. Okay, so you don't learn those things unless you go through that sometimes collegiate experience. Right. But there are also the trades or also other avenues that I would encourage people to build their own curriculum, I guess, is what I would say. Right. Don't go to a, a, a university and accept it. I fought with my university. I fought with my graduate school <laughs> about this. Mm-hmm. I said, I'm that that class is nonsense. Mm-hmm. You're going to teach me about entrepreneurship. From someone who's never ran a business, mm-hmm. they're, they're teaching from a textbook. This is garbage. It's nonsense. I'm sorry. It is. Mm-hmm. Half these people te- teach an entrepreneurship class have never taken a risk in their life. Yeah. Right. Reminds, Can we, it reminds me of architecture school. We used to always joke about that. You know, most of the faculty. Bro, hook me up with that. That's pretty delicious. Most of the faculty in architecture school were people who never worked in the profession yeah. or they worked for like two or three years yeah. and they quit and they went back and taught. Yeah. And it right. was always just. And that's why, and that's why they're, <laughs> that's why, so they're, that's why they're there. I'll give you a exactly. real world example. When I was getting my graduate degree in real estate, like there was a certain thing that the university wanted you to take a certain course curriculum. I was like, no, I'm not taking that entrepreneurship mm-hmm. class. That's, that's a waste of time, frankly. Mm-hmm. I want to take construction means and methods in the uh, school of engineering. What? Like, no. Yeah. I want to understand how folks are building estimates, determining earthwork situations. and Smart. Soil, right. I want yeah. to understand the technical arena of if I found a piece of dirt that I decide is valuable, but what are the other considerations that need to be brought to bear right. to right. make it practically usable? Yep. Yep. Might we 
might we say this JCS is that I think we're, and we're all roughly the same generation all in our forties, early fifties. Um, some of us are older. Okay. <laughs> uh, you said it, I didn't. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, would you say like when we were, when we were, um, growing up eighties, nineties, it was really impressed upon us to do the traditional four-year oh, college. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, and then maybe, mm-hmm. you know, if you had the ability, you go to grad school or you yep. go to professional school, that was really pushed. I too have a Jesuit education background from, from a high school perspective and, and loved my school, loved yeah. the Jesuit uh, um, uh, approach to education. But uh, the very traditional aspect of like, this is what, this is how you do. And I think a lot of people had that experience in the eighties and nineties. And I think what JCS is getting at is that that world, at least in totality, no longer exists. Is that um, you don't, you can get to where we are in our current world and not go to a four year traditional state school, private school, name your standard, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, letter on your chest uh, yeah. uh, university. You can go to the trade schools and get some of that same experience. You can go to the community college. Uh, no. You can go online. You can go online to some degree and get some of those, get some of those experience or frankly, find a mentor or two and have them throw you into the fire. Yeah. Right. And and you follow them for uh, two, three, four plus years. And that is also an education. Right. Right. And so I think I think um, ultimately and I think this is a good thing. I think this is actually this is a positive. People are uh, I, th- I think a lot of uh, pronosticators currently are, are really uh, bemoaning uh, the cost and the inaccessibility of four year uh, college, traditional four year colleges. But I think the flip side, the positive side is that there are these other avenues now we're kind of going back to the future of what it what it right. used to be yeah. like mm-hmm. there's these other avenues now to make a good living to do something you're passionate about that you love and not have to take on some of that debt yes. that you would take on yeah. yes. in a traditional four-year college that's a good thing yeah we so, got sold a bag of goods mm-hmm. and right now i think it's it's hopefully being disrupted mm-hmm. given some of the current climate going on right now but it was sold to us that hey you go get, I remember this, you go get a college degree, it could be a basket weaving studies. <laughs> you get your major in basket weaving studies, you're going to graduate, you're going to be okay for the rest of your life. I remember getting taught yeah. that almost, right? It was like, yeah. get a psychology degree, mm-hmm. get a this degree, like just get something. It doesn't matter. Just go get an education because you're a lot in life better. And the, the statistics used to prove that out. Mm-hmm. Today, they do not. Why? Right. It's like any marketplace. We have accelerated this uh, funneling of people into the post-secondary system, and now there is a surplus mm-hmm. of college graduates. Right. Well, guess what? There's not enough jobs for all the college graduates. Yeah. So we've started to introduce some specificity with regard to what skills we want to highlight. Today, it is information technology, mm-hmm. finance and accounting, right? Because we live in a both consumer-driven and finance economy, mm-hmm. right? No longer manufacturing, but we have aging infrastructure, and the other is engineering, yeah. right? Unless it's one of those, and maybe in medicine, right? Mm-hmm. Those four, if you're getting some generic marketing degree, boy, be ready to compete. Yeah, right. better like you better like competition. Yeah, and right. colleges 
whole whole lot more expensive it's than a lot when more we expensive. went to school too. That's right. So I don't know that it's a great yeah. value proposition. The ROI is not once what it was. And the numbers reflect that. I guess you know college enrollment's been declining for almost ten years now. So nationwide, um, I, I want to get back to the passion comment and just so for Shamari for a minute, you have chosen to spend a lot of your time in the in the Vine District. 18th and Vine here in Kansas City, mm -hmm. that area. I wanted to talk a little bit more about what you see. You know, why why was that? Why is that such a passion project for you? And what do you see as the future for that part of Kansas City? Sure. So I'll speak on a broader Kansas City slash Kansas City metro context, and then go into the kind of macro Vine district context. So, like most major cities in the United States. Um, and for folks who who again are in their forties and fifties, we had, we're in a unique unique age experience where where we grew up in the decline of cities for the most part. And then um, as we got older into our high school years and, and college years, again for for this generation, um, we saw the return of cities, right? The return to urban core, the the understanding, uh, and this is referencing American cities. Um, uh, the understanding of, of, of the upside to city living, urbanity, et cetera. And uh, I saw uh, Kansas City and heard uh, the stories of Kansas City growing up. And the, the lived experience did not match what the stories were. And I think a lot of people felt that in the city. And you can cut and paste this to St. Louis or to the Twin Cities, like this is not specific to Kansas City. So I think a lot of people will have some um, <clears throat> understanding of this concept uh, based on personal experience. So, A, it's about what makes Kansas City the metro the best it can be. Mm -hmm. And like most other uh, American cities, we've had the return of investment and interest into the urban core. But in my opinion, Kansas City specifically, and now I'm about to go into the macro part, cannot be at its best when a third of the city, and particularly the neighborhood that represents, I think, uh, uh, to the outer world, represents that third of the city. Um, it cannot be at its best if that third of the city, and, and particularly Vine District, are not at its best, Right. And uh, the equal layer to that is uh, Vine, and there's a lot of American cities that have similar neighborhoods. Vine represents black Kansas City. Mm -hmm. So Kansas City, I think, from 2020 census is roughly now 28% African-American, I think, mm -hmm. roughly. And that's a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. Right? It's yeah. a lot of people. Yeah. And, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go on a Kansas City neighborhood uh, naming list. So for the non Kansas City and listeners, uh, um, there might be very little reference unless you visited here. You know, you've had a lot of investment in the central business district and city market crossroads, uh, now midtown, uh, the plaza, all that's great. Mm -hmm. Fine and well, those are great neighborhoods. Uh, but if you're not looking at vine, if you're not looking at Northeast, if you're not looking at some of these other neighborhoods that are not in that corridor, 
and that corridor is typically middle class to, to upper class um, and predominantly white, mm -hmm. generally speaking, with a handful of exceptions. Uh, we're doing a disservice to both the community and the city and metro at large, right? So it's both a passion for the community and, and, and understanding where it was historically and what it can be in the present, but also a passion and love for the city as a whole, understanding that Kansas City cannot be what it should be without doing that, right? When you go to France, when you go to Australia, when you go to South Africa, when people think about Kansas City outside of the Chiefs and <laughs> and, and every once in a while the Royals, uh, um, they think about barbecue and jazz, yeah, right? Absolutely. Where do those two things come from? Where do they originate? Where do they originate? Eighteen divine. Fine. Yeah. Right. And so and so again, um, all the neighborhoods I listed previously that weren't vine are important, and I'm not mm -hmm. I'm not I'm not saying that they're not. They are important, and it's it's great that they have redeveloped that they're redeveloping and that there's enough capital to um, maintain those neighborhoods, but it's all for naught If you ignore and don't have the same amount of interest and capital and energy put into uh, vine and neighborhoods uh, of, of, of similar history. Yeah. And I, th and I think what's cool is, like in your regards is it's not, you're not just saying, well, sitting on the sidelines saying, well, I think this is important. I, and I want somebody else to go do it. You're actually like skinning well, the it game wasn't, and going, it wasn't, and, going it, and doing it yourself. Amen. It wasn't, it wasn't being done. And again, I'm not, so there's obviously nuance into this. Like most things, you know, growing up, my grandpa had the only um, company again, co-owner, but the call was the only company in the Vine District when I was growing up to visit him. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of talk about the past and its glory and mm -hmm. so on and so forth. But then when I was going to visit him, it was just this, it was just this one building. Mm -hmm. Right. It was just the call, right? Maybe a couple other places, but I was too young to know if, if yeah. those bars or restaurants were, open, right? <laughs> were, were, were doing like, I wasn't thinking about that at the time. Yeah. Um, and then when I was in high school and when now Congressman Cleaver and, and I grew up in his church and uh, 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 love and respect the man. One of the most visionary leaders in Kansas City, by mm -hmm. the way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, um, great man and, and representative. But 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 he was able and, and others were able to take the lead on on the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum, uh, the American Jazz Museum, some of the other things that have been stalwart since the mid nineties. Uh, but frankly, I think there was a broader vision of the district that never came to pass. Right now we're in a place and it's, it's, it's a very unique time. So some of it's intentional and some of it's frankly lightning in a bottle. When you have those two things, you really have to take advantage yeah. of it. Yeah. I right. Agree. So it's not just me and, and my partners, uh, Tim Dugan, Jason Parson, Erica Bryce, Michael Edmondson, et cetera. So it's not just us that are in there from a private sector perspective. Uh, you have folks building new construction, multifamily, mm -hmm. a multi-use. You have uh, uh, a gentleman, Alan Gray, who uh, has partnered with artists uh, out of China who are rehabbing an old elementary school, Christmas Attics, into uh, an art studio and center. 
you have, I referenced Adam Jones earlier. He's doing a couple projects down there. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some other things that I'm not at liberty to say, but, it, but, but there are other exciting projects that yeah. are about to be announced and, and move forward. We have an opportunity to really do something special, mm-hmm. to really honor the past, but also live in the present, right? And that has come about because you have folks who are willing to take the risk, folks who understand development and what it takes and, and understanding some of the some of the nuanced difficulty in it and how to make it work. Um, city support. Mm-hmm. The national trend of, of uh, uh, urban core interest. Uh, and frankly, a b- broader understanding, particularly post 2020, of it's important to recognize and honor um, uh, African American culture in said city. Name your city, mm-hmm. right? That has that has that significantly. But we have that in spades. We have both the structures that used to be there historically. Uh, we have leadership within those communities who who are talented. Right. And their leaders within the community and for the broader base of the city. Um, and I think that's a very special thing for Kansas City. So we need to take advantage of that. We need to use that. And, and that's what uh, we, our group and others, and with the support of mm-hmm. you all as uh, 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 friends and, and, and people who have similar interests. That's what we have here. And it's very exciting. How do you how do you think about Vine? compared to similar districts in other cities? Like, is there, is there another district in some other city you've been to that you'd look at and you go, this is, this is a vision that I have and it could be like that. So a lot of people comp it to Bill street and I've only been to Bill street once. So, so I think I'm going to come at this both from hearsay and also a place of ignorance only in that I've been to it once. It was during COVID. So it's Mm. and over the holidays. So, so this is not a fair, uh, Fair comparison, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, Bill honors Bill Street honors that history, mm-hmm. and Memphis has it in spades as well. Yes, I think the difference, and and I think a lot of stakeholders with uh, within the district, and a lot of folks who've been doing this for a long time, have wanted this to come to pass for a long time. Uh, a lot of a lot of those those folks who have been in this game for a while, uh, in terms of the the um, the Vine District um, redevelopment space would say we are not just an entertainment district. Yeah. It wasn't just an entertainment district right. when it was at its peak. We're talking 30s, 40s, 50s, maybe some some 20s. District. It was a business district. You had the call. You had lawyers. You had you had doctors. You had and in fact, a lot of the bars. People look at 18th Street. A lot of the bars and, and the jazz clubs were on 12th Street. They weren't on 18th Street. Right. If you listen to the song going back to Kansas City, exactly. he says 12th Street and Vine. He doesn't yeah. say 18th and Vine. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so and so I think a lot of folks and we are again, we're very blessed to have some of the folks who have that knowledge, who who lived in that space at the time. They're still here. They're still playing in the sandbox. You can you can go to Miss Pat Jordan and, and, and say, yep. hey, like like. What was it like? What was X, Y and Z? And, and she will tell you and and and. Fo- and and, and, and folks in that in that generation who are still active, who are still doing these things. I think that's unique. Mm-hmm. I think that's, uh, again, someone coming from, from a place of ignorance and someone from Memphis can yeah. make comments on the, on this podcast and, and, and say and say that's not true. But but 
through my travels and from what I've seen, I think that that is what's unique about Kansas City and Vine in general, and that's what we have to take advantage of. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've been to I've been to Beale Street a few times, uh, and uh, it, I mean, it, I mean, I don't want to be insulting about it. I I had a good time. I enjoyed it. It's there fun. Some, there were some cool venues. It's great. Um, but it it feels it, it feels a little bit like a Disney World. Is it co- I was going to just what, say the know, same thing. Does it feel co opted? Yes, to me it does. What I would like uh, us uh, to be, yeah. what I would like Vine yeah. to be, when I say us, Vine District as a, as a stakeholder, one of many. Yeah, I think New Orleans does it very well. Yeah, say what you want about New Orleans, like New Orleans ain't perfect. What place is? Um, but they honor the history, they honor the culture. It's authentic, and it's real. These are people who really take the streetcar yeah. down, down to said place. These are people who have restaurants, bars, businesses right. that have been passed down through generations within the African-American culture of New mm-hmm. Orleans and folks who honor that. And the city of New Orleans broadly, African-American or not, embrace that. Yep. Yep. Embrace that as part of New Orleans. This is this is part of us. That's why I think, not to that degree, because the, the demographics are a little different and so on and so forth. Like, right. can't say New Orleans and vice versa. But I do think the similarities, the positive similarities are there where... It's part of the marrow of the city. We have the historic architecture to honor that, to touch mm-hmm. it. And you have multi-generational folks who are still in Kansas City from the community who can talk about the past, but understand we're not living in it and mm-hmm. that we need to, <clears throat> we also need to live in the present and plan for the future. Right, right. I think one of the crazy things about this conversation, right, is that I think Reverend Cleveland came up with this, what, in the, the 90s. late 90s, mid 90s, late 90s? Yeah, because he was mayor. I mean, he was a two term mayor right. from 91 to what was that? 99, 98, I think. Like yeah. 99. Okay. You right? have yeah. kids that couldn't drink, that frankly weren't even alive, that don't weren't alive when he came up with that. And we're right. still wrestling with this today. Here's where I think the difference lies. Let's just talk about the elephant in the room. The historic. Uh, racism and overall like stereotype about the East side in this Mm -hmm. town is quickly starting to erode. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because of changing attitudes and landscapes. What I fear about where we're headed is that some of that will come back based upon a public safety conversation, but I don't want to hijack this discussion with, with pontifications on that because ultimately I think the story is positive. Mm -hmm. I don't think that it's a negative story. I think 18th and Vine is one of the last best undiscovered assets that when it like really gets going and you're frankly one, you and your partners are frankly one of the most influential leaders in this drive, Mm. even though there are bigger projects now coming up around you. That's right. Right. When I was talking to you guys back in the day about this and I go, and you told me what you want to do. I'm like, absolutely. Let's figure it out. Let's figure out how to, how to get. Yeah. You got it. Yeah. Because. The attitudes are changing mm-hmm. around, well, what's safe and what's not. The We're losing some of this old school racist attitude around stereotypes around where's safe mm-hmm. and where's not in this town. So that it can be more of a, a greer, egalitarian kind of like quality of experience is what matters over what the history matters. Like, I think the history jumping back 70 years ago is what people really want to connect to. That's right. Not, mm-hmm. well, this legacy of what, dot, 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 whatever. Whatever you want to say, right? Right. Without getting too in the weeds. 
that's why you see, I think, the course of development and all it all it needed was this is why I go back to my original statement. Mm-hmm. Creativity over profit is what's going to carry the day mm-hmm. in our industry moving forward. You needed a Shamari Benton, a Tim Dugan, mm-hmm. Jason Parson, Erica Bryce to go. Here's our risk matrix reward. We're going to accept this risk. It's a life we. I, I another saying I had is like, this is the life we lead. This is the life we chose. It's from and uh, all those uh, yeah. all those folks you named, yeah. JCS, real quick. Yeah, I think the advantage is, and again, not I love when I mean you're not from here. Yeah, I mean you didn't. You were in and I out really Kansas, City. Kansas City. Yeah. So so, and it's a market. It's not parochial. I think I don't think in this regard. I, you yeah. guys tell me, but I think Kansas City is very accepting of people who are not born yes, raised. Yes, very here. much so. But I would say the advantage and the folks that you just named, we. All of those folks you just named are born and raised here, right? And 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 have multiple multiple generations yes. of Kansas City. I mean, and connections and connections. I mean, Jason Parsons, uh, uh, Jay McShan, like one of the most famous jazz yeah. artists globally. Yeah. Right. And so I think your grandfather wasn't it one of the first people to be he desegregated he, he desegregated the first the public golf course at Swope Park. Golf course, right? It's Swope. Yeah. 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 Ruben Benton. Which used to hold PGA tournaments. Yeah. So I think what you're saying, JCS, and then I'll, I I didn't, but, but, but I do, I do think that that history and being from the city and having multiple generations and envisioning, knowing the story and envisioning what it can be, despite what it is in the present is highly important. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and bringing those skill sets to bear through passion. Yeah. Yes. Right. And and I think it's hard to do if you're not from said place. I think it could happen. I think you could move to a city and be passionate about that city. Like there are, you know, yeah. I, I spent a little bit of time in the Twin Cities, obviously went to college at, in Columbia, Missouri. I love those places. I consider them second homes. Love Minnesota. Love mid-Missouri. Uh, but, man, the level of passion you have when you're born and raised somewhere and you see the – yeah you see the possibility yeah, and then you get, and then you connect with folks who also have that same passion and have that skill set. That's also, how you tackle and it. And who are also willing to shed off the weight and baggage of the past or yeah. the immediate past. Right. And go, right. this is what it can be moving forward. Yeah. That can have vision. And well, it takes some arrows. Yeah. Cause and when you do that, let's be honest, sense. right? Like mm-hmm. I think the listeners need to know this. And, and, and most folks, I imagine, or a lot of folks who listen to this are are, are incremental developers because that's the space we kind of we kind of play in. So a lot of them will understand this. But you're going to take some arrows, yeah, uh, because you're you're going to a space that whether it be politically, whether it be socially, whether it be economically, or all of the above, mm-hmm. there's a reason why people haven't done it. Right. Yep. There's a reason. Yep. And so. Um, you have to lean into that skill set, lean into that passion, find your team who are all willing to walk through that fire together. But man, like once you get through that, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> and I, yeah. I mean, yeah. just like seeing what's going on with 2000 Vine right now with that, that building, those buildings is, is incredible. Yeah. And it's going to be, be so much fun to have all that wrapped up. Yeah. It's a lot of, it's, it's, it's amazing. And then once you get out there and, and you find your tribe, if you will, there are other folks who I think come along once once people see that you're taking that risk. Yeah. Yep. There are other folks who have also thought about yep. this for some time. Yep. yep. Right. And then the dominoes start to fall. 
again, we have we have this advantage, and this is whether you care about Vine or not, as a Kansas City or non Kansas City. And the the beauty is, uh, as it's getting rehabbed, redeveloped, this is going to be a benefit for the city as a whole. Yes, without a doubt. Yeah, it's 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 putting the pieces of the puzzle together to make a great and fantastic urban core that we can all be proud of as Kansas City. So one other question I wanted to ask you guys, we'll probably move towards wrapping this up because I know everybody still has a life and things to do today. This but fun. <laughs> it's a lot of no, fun. I'd, this is a lot of fun. We'll, we'll do this back. Again. I mean, we'll, let's see uh, what the audience says. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully I didn't piss anybody off. <laughs> We're not canceled yet. We're not canceled It doesn't yet. matter. It's my podcast. If we want to do it again, we'll do it again. All right. Sounds good. <laughs> so, uh, we're in an election cycle right now. Not really mm-hmm. gonna. I'm not gonna ask you an election you, question. You gotta, why do you have to go take down the mayor? I, I'm not gonna ask you an election question, okay. uh, even though we're all very interested in the outcome. Yeah. Uh, but I do want to ask you. You know, when you have an election cycle, you start to think it's easy to think in four year terms. Uh, and so I asked Dennis and Abby both this question when I had them on. But let's. The next four years, it's like four years from now. What would you, what would you like to see get accomplished in Kansas City? What would you like to see change? What would you like to see get done in, in that window that's, of time? That's such a great question, Kevin, and and that's a great way to put it because I think that's what matters. Um, I think one thing I would like to see there's there's one there's several things, but I think maybe the the the, the, the most important few, I'd like to see people get more engaged and wake up and realize that we've not made it yet. Yeah. We have a lot more work to do. We've got to make this city work for everyone equally. And right now it doesn't. Mm. I think that story is told in our daily existence and we become so desensitized to it when we think about crime and public safety. You know, crime's starting to creep into certain neighborhoods mm. and it's becoming an alarming issue. But there are other neighborhoods where it's been the order of the day. Yeah. And we've been okay with that. That's not right. Mm-hmm. You got to do something about that because quality of life amongst all of our citizens matter. Okay. There needs to be a wake up call with regard to jobs and economic development in this city. There's a lot of positive things. We are growing in popularity on a national, if not global scale. And that is awesome. But if we're not careful, that's going to erode because what we really need to focus on are the basic blocking and tackling of economic development and job creation. Mm-hmm. We need to be continue to be a net jobs creator, right? Net housing creator, not this electorate and uh, public discourse where we start to squabble amongst ourselves and eat, or eat each other, right? It was a time when you would hold a ticker tape parade for developers <laughs> through downtown. Right. Now, we are, even us small ones, right? Us, yeah. us lowercase D and I guys, right? Are enemy number one. And that's not right. Yeah. Because we're trying to create jobs and opportunities for people. We want quality of life mm-hmm. for all of our fellow citizens. Yeah. We got to start to change that conversation so that it's much more, again, egalitarian. And people feel, right? The reason why incentives are under attack, by the way, I'll tell you, it's pretty simple. It's because for too long, it's been this mysterious black box that only the privileged get to take advantage of. Mm -hmm. If you change that and you start to make the impact of those tools felt as they were intended, by the way, Mm -hmm. by those who are truly suffering from decades of disinvestment, if you just start to equalize that, 
it will change the conversation. That's where I would like to see us go, right? We start having real common sense conversations about how do we make basic city services and quality of life better equally across the board. We apply the tools that we've been given in a manner that makes sense, mm-hmm. right? We restore a sense of public safety in our city. Like those are the things I'd like to see us tackle, mm-hmm. right? Because there are a lot of like whale projects we could go chase. Yeah. I think we almost need to have a recentering and a reset of parties. And I'm not talking about hot take, like a Funkhauser situation. That's right. not what I'm talking about, right? I'm more talking about, listen, we're going to continue to chew gum and walk at the same time. We're not going to shut down, mm-hmm. you know, development, right? Right, Just to go focus on these things. And we're not going to also shut down, you know, helping the less fortunate amongst us mm-hmm. in order to service. They're not mutually exclusive. They're things. not mutually exclusive. Right. We can do both. Yeah. Well, I've got my uh, JCS for mayor button, so I'm ready to put it out. Ready to so, I want a copy of that, <laughs> and I want a yard sign. <laughs> All right, Shamar. podcast, I don't know that I'm a button. <laughs> Shamari, what do you what do you see for the so, next four years? Uh, so uh, there's a handful of things uh, that have been touched on that I also think are important. So to piggyback off of JCS, you know, the equity piece, we we talked about balancing out the neighborhoods and and particularly uh, whom they represent mm-hmm. within within the city. I think all that's important. <laughs> so I'll, I'll take this opportunity to touch on something I don't think we've discussed. Kansas City, despite all the positive and everything that's happening, for whatever reason, in your own your own Twitter, like I'm on Twitter, okay, okay. JCS isn't really, really isn't on really it. on it. Maybe I need to be. So you no, you no no don't you, do it. Okay, okay, you know right. you, you know this as well as I do is that you know within the urbanist um, uh, uh, Twitterverse, social media verse, Kansas City's become the poster child of surface parking and, and highways, and mm. you always see the maps of the. Yeah. of all the surface parking downtown and they highlighted in red and, and whatnot. So I would say in four years, I think we will, we will have, we could look back and say these last four years were a success when we can infill most, um, I'm not going to say all, cause I know that's not realistic mm-hmm. and, and maybe it shouldn't be, maybe, maybe it shouldn't be realistic. I think extremes in either side uh, is not healthy. But I think if we can look back in, you know, 20, 2027, 2028 and and say that map that that we were we were pushing in the early in the early 20s uh, and a lot of those opportunities for infill have happened, mm-hmm. that's success, mm-hmm. along with all the other things that we have shared today. Um, and and I think the way to do it. And again, you know, we're all incremental developers and believe in, in, in the strong towns movement. Uh, I think the ability to do that and to through code, through policy, um, through private sector leadership to do that and to make it accessible for not just, I'm not excluding them. Like they have a place. Some of them are my clients. (laughs) Uh, um, but but not just the big guys yep. who are important, but folks like us and, and even folks who are just getting started. You know, if you want to build a fourplex, a sixplex, an eightplex, um, you can do that too. That's how we're going to properly infill. That's a good word. Yeah. That's a good word. Yeah. Love that. So the final question I 
try to remember to ask everybody who's on the podcast, which I think I've forgotten it maybe only once so far, but okay. uh, this is the Messy City Podcast. So I like to ask every guest to think about uh, a place that you feel like meets that that term. Is it a city, a town, a neighborhood that if I were to describe something that just feels a little messier in nature, more organic, Sorry, more bottom up, what 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 do you think about? What's what's a place you think about that might have some of those qualities that you that you love? When you say messy, you're saying you're loving it. You're loving this place with because of its messiness. Yeah. So yeah. it's a little gritty. Yeah. A little Be, grimy. And it's gritty because incremental development, for whatever reason, uh, and relatively speaking, is commonplace. Yeah. Yeah. I have my answer if you want time to think. Uh, I have my I have my answer. I hope I'm going to get to the essence of what you're asking. Um, because this is a, uh, we have a, uh, bifurcated, uh, metro area that, that has a shared state line. I'm going to tell you, I'm still very, very high. Not, I'm, I'm a Kansas city, Missouri resident and I live in Brookside mm-hmm. and I love it. That's not the area, but I'm going to jump across state line mm-hmm. and I'm going to say the Rosedale mm-hmm. area of KCK, I think is, has a lot of untapped potential. I I think it's a bastion of a era where you can have, you can make a neighborhood what it should have been in a way that's respectful Mm -hmm. because bigger interests are not involved there yet. And I hope, I actually hope they don't become, because I think it will ruin what that thing will be, can become. Now there's parts of Rosedale. If you consider KU med Mm -hmm. as part of Rosedale, then yeah, I get it. Lane four has done amazing things. I love lane four. They're good people. I know folks over there, but what I would consider downtown Rosedale in that area along Merriam Drive, Shawnee Drive, mm-hmm. there's so much cool things you could do there that I think that needs to be like, it needs to be something we all coalesce around as incremental developers mm-hmm. and start figuring out how to do it. Now, hopefully you don't have too many land speculators there that won't yeah. let the well, you just ruined it. Up. I probably did. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know that he's popular enough yet that this is going to matter. We, he's about to, he's we, now, he's about, like, we're he's about to be. We don't have like, 5 million you know, views on YouTube or anything. But, <laughs> but I think that's but, an area. No, I think, I think, that's, I think that's a really cool Would you cool say area. KCK, like in general? Because my sister-in-law lives in Strawberry Hill. I love Strawberry Hill. And I, I would say the same thing. And it seems yeah, to me, yeah. uh, whether it be folks who are just buying homes and rehabbing them, mm-hmm. or whether it be small, you know, small quote unquote, uh, developers like, like us yeah, or, or even the big guys. Like there are some big yeah. guys who are starting to play in, in KCK. I think in general, it's a messy city and yeah. there are folks within city hall and in, 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 in the County Wyandotte, uh, who understand that lean into that. Well, I think the interesting thing, uh, if I, re- if I remember this right, I'll have to fact check myself, but I think a lot of those areas, Rosedale, Argentine, Armordale, maybe not Armordale, but Argentine, some of those were actually separate towns originally. I think you're right. That were later incorporated as part of KCK. Uh, and so they each have their own small town That's feel right. to it. And they, they are really, really cool. I actually drove through there on Merriam Drive and noticed that there's actually a coffee shop over there now. I know that guy, Jordan Fox. What's it called? Great guy. Uh, is, it, is it not Foxtrot? Might be Foxtrot. Might oh, be. Foxtrot's a leather. Uh, he has a coffee shop too. Does he? Okay. Yes. Yeah. So Susie put him in that. Interesting. Yes. Yeah. So he's a good kid. He's a good. He's a yeah. great guy. Shout so, out to Jordan at Fox Trot. Right. And shout Pop out to the in the yeah. something we haven't touched on, and something that I think Kansas City um, 
in the in the broader discourse really underplays and doesn't discuss often but something that if you look at our because we've we've grown we've only had two decades in, in census history where we've lost people mm -hmm. uh and then and those were basically from the 70s to the 90s so mm -hmm. from 1990 until the 2020 census we are back to growth mm -hmm. a lot of that growth is the immigrant community mm -hmm. if you look at the 20 2000 to 2010 census and the 2010 census to the 2020 census a lot of that growth is the immigrant community, right. particularly uh, from the from the Latin world. Mm -hmm. Man, KCK, uh, KCMO uh, should really lean into the immigrant community because they mm -hmm. have they uh, the immigrant community has gone into neighborhoods that we uh, have mm -hmm. left. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and 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 really brought in an entrepreneur entrepreneurship spirit and energy so and made them yeah. and, and made these things fantastic yep. and we yep. need we need to talk about that absolutely we, do. we need yeah. to celebrate it and it needs frankly don't you think shamari it shouldn't it be part of like the visit kc story it should be it yeah. should be like this thing that we 100 percent highlight and right. we say go here go to these places go visit mm -hmm. like i didn't talk about this area but this is another cool stretch of town that i think has a lot of potential but i don't want it to be co-opted uh, central street yeah, oh, all, the way, all the way over to eighteen. Oh, but fantastic. Casey, so I will say, so like, there's there's such cool KCK does, does lean into it. Yeah, or or at, at least in comparison to Casey Mo, right. um, it right. leans into it. But we, as a region, but Casey Mo in particular, I think we could do, and I'm including myself in this. Um, yeah, we could do a better job in promoting, celebrating. The immigrant community that we have here—it's a—it's right. a part and parcel. JCS is from St. Louis. St. Louis has been losing population. And I love St. Louis. I love right? St. Louis too. Saint, like have, all everyone that listens to this, I'm going to send this to yeah. my friends. I am still a St. Louis yeah. guy. I love St. Louis, but Kansas City's my home. <laughs> yeah. Kansas City's my home. I love this town. St. Louis has great architecture, yeah. so on and so forth. But if you look at their losing population, yeah, and you and and you listen and read folks who who are in this space and 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 professionally think about this when they do a comparison between St. Louis and Kansas city, what they, what they often bring up is immigration, right? <clears throat> the reason why Kansas city is not at those numbers or one of, one of the main reasons is because you have that immigrant community in comparison to other cities that do not. That's so good. Shwar, you're such a really astute student of this urban, the urban lexicon. Like I got to commend you on this. Like, uh, I know we've talked a lot about this and just like hanging out, but your knowledge of this is almost second to none in the way that you break it down using uh, facts and figures. I, mean, the, I think it's really critical, right, to have you in this incremental development space with bringing these this knowledge to bear. Yeah, because I you, think that's how we're going to evolve mm -hmm. and grow is having people like a Shamari absolutely coming to the table, bringing the big boy level analytics almost, but from maybe more of a guttural. Kind of yeah, from like a passion. Feel, right? Right. It's the only thing, yeah. and, and trust me, you can ask my fiance. It's it's the only thing that I'm good and passionate about. So, <laughs> <laughs> she she would she she would yeah. tell you that. Uh, I, I don't think that, that's totally true. That's, but, not, that's not true at all. But that's but, you know. But no, but, man, but I, like, but I think seriously. it's I think it's key when when you are Kansas City because because you have you, you have you have some advantages. Mm -hmm. We we can't uh, we can't be glass half empty, but we do have. 
some disadvantages and maybe mm-hmm. some more than our other peers. You're not going to make mountains here, by the way. Yeah. You know, there's yeah, we, we have some. So, so I think if you if you if you if you play in the sandbox and you want to be a stakeholder, and you want to be a leader and making Kansas City better, you have to understand these nuances, because if you don't, uh, you're going to get left in the dust yeah. because there are other cities, whether it be national or global, that have natural advantages that we don't have. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And historical advantages. Too. That's right. So, uh, all right. So what's your messy place? So I'll try to be quick about it. Uh, I think the the top messy city, uh, and we're doing America, or are we doing? You can do whatever you want. I think it's New Orleans. I knew it was going to be New Orleans. For you. <laughs> it is. If you experience New Orleans. And, and, you love New Orleans. I do. You love debauchery. I think in your soul, you love a place that can ebb and flow between debauchery and also refinement. I don't like extremes in politics. I like extremes in, in life. In, in life. <laughs> I love work hard, play hard. Yeah. I love yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. I work my ass off. Can you say ass on this? Sure, you okay. can, I said shit earlier. <laughs> okay. yeah. I work my ass off. I work right. very hard. I took care of two sick parents as an only child. I put in my work. Yeah. And, and so uh, I continue to put in my work. So after I do that, I want to yeah. I want to put in my play. You live life, right? <laughs> you gotta live life, man. Yeah, and so life. and so New Orleans, I think, is messy. Yeah, it's the it's the quintessential messy city. Now, there, if we're going to be honest, there's some messy, there's some negatives to that. Um, yeah, we thankfully Kansas City has either headquarters here, corporate headquarters here, or branches of headquarters. We have a very strong economy. We have a very diverse economy. Uh, I, I I don't remember a time, even even when we were growing up, as referenced in the '80s and '90s, where it was at its low point, like a lot of American cities. I don't think there's ever been a point where Kansas City didn't have jobs, right? Kansas City's always had jobs. Mm, there's always been really there's always been work. Yeah, right. There's always been work. Uh, uh, I love that about this city, right? And, and I think there's a multitude of reasons for that that we could talk about maybe in another podcast, but. So that's the negative of New Orleans. And mm-hmm. so I think we need to recognize that. Yeah. Uh, however, there are a bunch of folks like us who are doing a lot of interesting things in New Orleans, continue to do a lot of interesting things in New Orleans, despite some of its disadvantages. Right. It is the, in my opinion, it is the quintessential messy city. Okay. Mm-hmm. Bonus mm-hmm. question. I want to ask you two a question. Mm-hmm. All right. So... Oh, hold on, hold on. Can, can Kevin share his? Yeah. What's well, your? Yeah. Do you always? No, share man. Yours? It's my podcast. I don't ever share that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Although I love New Orleans, I think that's a great. And I also, I mean, it probably wouldn't surprise you. I would. Savannah. I would probably lean towards Savannah. Which I, is, which no, is Savannah's like a, great. Like a ba- it's like a baby New Orleans. I was thinking. You know? No, I, I, I love. I love Savannah. Savannah with you. You name the date. Let's okay. go. Savannah's okay. probably my favorite. So you were saying I love New Orleans, and I do. But actually, Savannah's my favorite American city. The reason why I didn't say it is because, and maybe it's because of its size, yeah. is that it seems to be, and I don't want to use the, the word gentrified because that's mm-hmm. not exactly what it I is. I feel like it's polished. It's more polished than like New Orleans. Like, it's gotten there. Like, it didn't, you, I don't think it, I think that's a very recent thing. Yeah, I think that is thing. recent. Yeah, yeah. I think if you were there 30 years ago, you wouldn't have, you wouldn't have thought even, it at all. Or maybe yeah, even or maybe so. even 20 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, like when Jamie first moved there, which was, I think, when did she move there? 2000 or so, 99, 2000. And it was much different place. Right. 
much different than what it is now. So Savannah's beautiful. Yeah, it is beautiful. I've only driven through and like went through downtown, done the square and restaurants, but yeah. I, I want to go there with yeah. you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. My question is: So Kansas City is starting to get a lot of comparisons to other places. It's been very popular mm-hmm. over the last four years. It's like Kansas City is going to be the next this, next Austin, the next Nashville, the next da 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 da. After spending some time in both Austin this year and then Dallas, Fort Worth, I will tell you, like I used to like like poo-poo those comments, but I'm I I, I think I understand what people are saying. And I'll just give you my little like high-level situation. Being there with my little daughter there on spring break, my 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 nine-year-old, my ten-year-old daughter, shout out to my daughter Charlotte. Uh, we went to, to the Pro Museum did the little streetcar in, in Dallas, and then we did some things in Fort Worth. You got to drive a lot of places in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. And I love that area, but, I mean, you do – it's not as concentrated as here. And we have evolved as a city, especially since downtown got developed. Man, like, we've got this cool corridor where you can yeah. just go and do a lot of stuff. River Crown Plaza. In a yeah. super condensed area. As soon as that streetcar extends, like, you're not going to need a car. And, again, I'm not anti-car because I'm a car guy, but, man mm-hmm. – Talk about when you go travel, it's super convenient when you don't have to use a car. You don't feel like Austin's like that? You don't feel like Austin's I, like Austin that? is like that. Austin is like that. Like, I walk everywhere when I go to Austin, right? Mm-hmm. I'm curious what you guys think about this comparison of, of Kansas City to the next this, this, that, or the other. Do you agree, disagree, or where would you draw? And people have been saying that for, for, for a while. I, I mean, I, I, I don't think we'll ever be – uh, one of those really high growth, top five growth cities in the country. Mm. Um, why? Why do you? Why do you think? I, I think we are still, we're still such a midwestern city, and uh, you know the, the 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 ones that have become the big you know the big uh, hallmarks in recent years: Austin, Nashville, mm-hmm. uh, Denver. Before that, mm-hmm. Portland, uh, Indianapolis, Portland. Uh, Indianapolis, I think, has grown, but they're still not like one of – they're not probably like a top 10 growth city. Really? Um, they were at one point, though. I thought they were. I, I don't know. I'd have to look yeah. at it. I know Columbus has grown a lot. Yeah. Columbus has basically sucked in all of the growth from Ohio, which is why they're growing. Yeah. It's really the only place in Ohio that's growing. It has It has that – it has that – that quintessential combination of gross cities that it's the capital of the state and, and the university. university. Yeah. That and is, if you have that, that's yeah. a quintessential. Yeah. Like, Nash- I like, Cle- I'm partial to Cleveland. Though. I mean, I Nashville know. has, you know, music city. It has the mountains. It's, a, you know, it's, a, it's, it's the capital. It's the cat. It's, it's got a lot going for it. Austin is in Texas. Texas is just going crazy. Texas with growth. Awesome. You know, it's just booming. Uh, so I, I think we will grow. I think our growth will probably accelerate from where it is. And I think we do have this unique, feature with this kind of linear downtown it's like really it's like a six mile long downtown um and i think that really bodes well for us but i i I still don't see us ever having the kind of hyper growth that some of those other markets have which i actually think is fine i really i don't know that i want us to have that sort of extreme year-over-year growth that some of those other markets have i i think we need to be growing faster and better than what we are now but uh, I would be totally happy to have that be a little bit more slow and steady and instead of some of the extremes of like Nashville and Austin and, and other cities that really boom. Denver. I mean, Denver is uh, Denver's not accessible now to to a lot of people to it's just true. even buy yeah, a house. It's California East. You know? Yeah. Uh, yeah it's just. It's, and Austin is too, by the way. Yeah. I mean, Denver's South, a great yeah, town. South, yeah. You know, Denver's a great town. I love going there and, and everything. But uh, yeah. I, I don't know. I think there's something about being in the middle of the country 
um, without the beaches, without the mountains, that is going to be hard for us to ever achieve that high rate of growth. Okay. That's just, you know, maybe that's my I respect your opinion, mi- modest Midwesterner take on it. <laughs> As the elder statesman in the room, I respect your opinion. Shamari, do you no, agree I or always, disagree? Yeah, what do I, you think? I disagree with Kevin being a statesman. The elder part. <laughs> the elder part might be. I, I kid, I kid. So I have three points, and I, I actually agree with Kevin, uh, but maybe for different reasons. Um, so one is I reference the mix between a capital and or um, – a large university, whether public or private, mm-hmm. we don't have either. Right. So a lot of the cities you name a lot. If if you look at the stats of a lot of cities that have that growth, they have at least one of those things, if not both. Right. We don't have that. Uh, number two, um, and this is where I would disagree with Kevin a little bit, and I like the immigrant community that we talked about that I think needs to be propped up a little bit more and, and celebrated. I actually think we have a beautiful natural environment. I think a uniqueness that we need to lean into as a city, and maybe there's other cities out there that are similar and and folks who feel this way about their respective cities. We're in between the Flint Hills and the Ozarks. Those are two very beautiful places. Mm -hmm. I agree. Now, you know, we can discuss um, uh, how they're maintained and and XYZ and the fact that there's a bunch of billboards Mm -hmm. uh, all up and down Southern Missouri and, but, but all that being said, uh, those are two very beautiful places. And I think when people realize that and recognize that, we better be careful, actually. I think that's actually, the, you're going to see a lot of growth in those areas. Really? Similar to Northwest Arkansas. How close we are to those two things? Yes. I think that's a, I think that's a thing that people aren't really mm-hmm. discussing. Because you e- can technically those. live here and it's so affordable, you can have a second home yes. in either of those places. Yeah. Yeah. Or both. It's true. I feel pretty like. They're beautiful places. Cush life. Like, yeah. yeah, no yeah. doubt. They're beautiful places. Yeah. Number three. Uh, I do think that we'll, we will, I doubt that we will have um, uh, expedient growth, uh, the type that you see in Austin, the type you saw in Portland back in the 90s and early 2000s, the type that you see in Nashville now. Uh, and like you, like, like Kevin, uh, I, I, I actually think that's a good thing. I don't, mm-hmm. I think steady growth is probably what we want, <clears throat> but the difference between us and Austin and to a lesser degree, Nashville, a lot of these cities are quote unquote new, right? Like we've been around in some form of fashion since the 1830s, mm-hmm. right? We have whole swaths of our city who you can dump a hundred thousand people into the, into that place. And we have the infrastructure to hold it. Nothing would change. Traffic wouldn't change. The ability to have utility services wouldn't change. Nothing would change. You're telling the story right now, by the way, you're telling the exact same story of St. Louis. Yeah. St. Louis Louis can hold another 200,000 people. Life would go on. You wouldn't even notice. St. Louis is a better story because it's a hundred years older. That's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. Kansas. Can't see St. Louis could, you could drop in the city of St. Louis, and for, for the folks who don't know, the listeners, St. Louis is actually a really small city geographically. Okay, it's more say. similar to San Francisco, yeah, right. where like it's a small city, but at a time it had almost a million people within that yeah. small. It's I think the comp is, is San Francisco, Boston, right? Yeah. You could dump two hundred thousand people in St. Louis right now, and there would not be an infrastructure or traffic issue, right? Because because 
it exists now. So I think the difference between places like St. Louis, places like Kansas City, maybe Detroit, uh, you could throw in there, uh, a handful of other American cities, is that the advantage is that uh, uh, you're going to avoid a lot of the things that Austin's dealing with because it got built up too fast. They had one highway going through it, which, again, depending on who you talk to, might be a good thing. Uh, but the infrastructure is having to catch up to the growth. Mm-hmm. We have the exact opposite problem. Yeah. We have the exact opposite <laughs> yeah, problem. We do. Is that we have too much infrastructure. We have uh, we have slow to medium growth, which again is mm-hmm. is, is fine, I suppose. Uh, but man, we can go out into the marketplace and say, invite folks to come in and get that tax dollars to to maintain that infrastructure and not bat an eye. Wouldn't be a problem. It yeah. would not be a thing. I'm so glad you said that because that's my conclusion as well. I yeah. think. I think both of you all have very good points. I honestly think our biggest problem is still density. This is where I go back to early in their conversation. We're not there yet. The work mm-hmm. is not done. Mm-hmm. Density is still the number one issue. Mm-hmm. We need more density to service the infrastructure that we have. And Dennis Strait is a brilliant mm-hmm. uh, uh, student and teacher of this, right? Like right. Because it's just not efficient the way we've grown and built the city and geogra- geographically yeah. the, la- the land that we annex north of the river like it has made us wildly inefficient now i get it we need to provide alternatives for people to be in kansas city that includes a suburban environment yeah. i think we can grow into that and i hope that we do i think we will frankly yeah. I, I really do think we will i think the Northland is going to be very very competitive and compelling value proposition for residents yeah that scares me a little bit about the urban core because being Mm -hmm. an urbanist right i think it's really important to keep an urban core because this is my thought this is my final thought i guess people are forgetting how important the work of the last 20 years has been to the success story of kansas city Mm -hmm. you don't get a burgeoning kck you don't get a burgeoning overland park Mm -hmm. you don't get a burgeoning even some of the Eastern Jackson County areas without the investment, the yep. billion dollars of investment we made within downtown Kansas city. That's you right. just don't get it. That's right. West side neighborhood is a beneficiary of it. Parts of the East side. North Kansas city. town is a beneficiary yeah. of it. Yeah. It has spilled out yeah. to where ancillary areas are now incremental mm-hmm. beneficiaries of that investment. People aren't understanding that. So yeah. we cannot let our foot off the gas. That is going to be the fuel that keeps our region healthy. Yeah. We still have more work to do. Yeah, one one or Spot two on. one or two good decades does not uh, reverse 70 or 80 years of decline. Bingo. So uh, that's well said. All right, well, let's wrap it there. Uh, we'll do this again, fellas. Yeah. This was a lot of fun. And uh, thanks for the adult beverages. I'll bring mezcal next time. Right. Kevin, you're a true <laughs> renaissance man. I want to let you know that. Like, This is awesome that you're doing this. It's amazing. This. Please keep it up. Let us know how we can support. Let us know if we can come in and bring some mezcal in next time. That's right. That's yeah. right. Because you're the man. Well, well, I appreciate it. I, you I'm guys, so lucky to have made you as a friend. Well, thank you for being Likewise, I feel the same. Appreciate yeah. both you guys. 100%. So this is this is a lot of fun. We'll do it again. Yeah. Thank you, sir. All right, thank, thank you. you.